Hello, and welcome to the 23rd episode of How to Hold a Pencil. My name is Ruben Ingber, and I'm your host. Special thanks to Media Temple and Harvest for supporting this week's show. Today I have with me Debbie Millman, who, is, who like me, is a UAlbany alum, and now she is the president of Design at Sterling Brands here in New York City. She's a writer, educator, artist, and designer who is perhaps best known as the host of the Design Observer podcast, Design Matters. Welcome, Debbie. And for the people who don't know who you are, why don't you give a little bit more background about yourself? Um, well, hello, Ruben. It's great to be with you. I'm a big fan. Um, well, I'm also uh, a brand consultant, and I am president uh, at Sterling Brands, where I've been for nearly two decades. And I am the chair of the first ever Masters in Branding program at the School of Visual Arts in New York City, and uh, the author of six books. Awesome. So I love to ask my guests the first thing right off the bat is sort of where, how you made your way from, you know, regular school and stuff like that to doing design. Well, I started um, doing design quite by accident. I went to school assuming that I would do something with literature, writing. Um, I did not have any sense at all that I would end up in design. Um, my big break, my first big break came uh, from actually SUNY Albany, where I became the editor of the arts and feature section of the school newspaper called Aspects. And uh, that was part of the ASP, the Albany Student Press. And when I started working on the school newspaper, and this was in the early 80s, um, I realized that I was far more interested in the overall look and feel of the newspaper than just the content. And suddenly found myself as the um, de facto designer because the editors of the paper were also expected to do all the layout and the paste up of each issue. And so I became a designer in in the act of design. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and, so uh, never looked back. <laughs> that's great. So over time, obviously, you've done some amazing things. How did you, at the very beginning, sort of build your confidence uh, to start doing it and to sort of, you know, push forward? I understand that it's something that, you know, doesn't necessarily come natural to everyone. And having that confidence at the beginning is so important. Well, actually, I don't agree. <laughs> I don't agree at all. Um, I was talking to Danny Shapiro the other day. I, I did a podcast with her. She's a writer of um, a couple of really marvelous memoirs. One is called Slow Motion and the other is called Devotion. And she just wrote a book called Still Writing. And it's about living a creative life when we were talking about confidence. And she said that she felt that um, confidence was really overrated and that if you think about the really, really confident people um, that, that when you think about confidence in, in the art field or the design field or the, even in, in writing, um, people that are really, really confident are usually pretty obnoxious. <laughs> and also, um, once you're really confident about your art, chances are you're probably not doing your best work, that people that are constantly searching questioning, second-guessing, redoing, those are the people that tend to do really good work. And I think that in, a, in our culture, we confuse confidence with courage. I don't think you need to be confident to do great things. I think you just have to have the courage to take that step to do it. And if you're waiting for confidence to come, 
I think that you may wait forever. I don't think you need to be confident to do great things. You just need to have the courage of your convictions to take the first step to do the great things. That, excuse me, that's, that is some advice that everybody should really listen to. And I think that, um, the idea of courage is uh, overconfidence is, is really interesting. It's something I've never thought about. Um, so in the talk that, or when I've met you, it was at a talk here in New York and you discussed 10 things you wished you knew sooner, uh, rather than later, um, Mm -hmm. for yourself, uh, what pieces of advice have you found to have the most important impact on your own life? that you'd like to pass on to somebody who's new in the field of design? Okay, uh, there are a couple. Um, First, um, I think that people that are first starting out in design um, need to anticipate that anything worthwhile is going to take a long time. Um, I I often joke now that we're living in a 140-character culture. People (laughs) to achieve something as quickly as they can tweet about it. Um, and I don't think that really profoundly great work happens that quickly. I think it takes years, sometimes it takes decades to really figure out what it is you want to say. And it's unfortunate that we're living in a culture now that ex- expects success to come far more quickly than is even remotely possible, um, unless you put out a sex tape. <laughs> And, please, and, please, nobody go out and do that. It's not worth it. <laughs> you definitely don't want to see me doing one. But I think that um, the idea that, that greatness happens overnight is is a myth. Um, I think Eddie Cantor was the great vaudeville actor that said, yeah, I was an overnight success that took 20 years. So I, I think that that's one thing. Um, another is that busy is a decision. (laughs) And I say this a lot because people use busy as a badge and as the number one excuse as to why they can't do something. And I think that if we use busy as an excuse for not doing something, what we're really, really, really saying is that it's not a priority because we do whatever we want to do. And if we want it badly enough, we either stay up late or we get up early or we don't eat or we don't bathe or (laughs) whatever it is. We don't watch Game of Thrones. Whatever it is that we want to do, we make the time to do. People ask me, how do you find the time to do everything? And I learned this one from Maria Popova. You don't find the time, you make the time. If you want to do something, you do it. So true. It's, I mean, I, I spoke to somebody a few weeks ago or a few, um, a few months ago when I first started the podcast, this, this young woman named Natasha. And she was like, I wake up every day at 5am to have enough time to learn something new before I even set foot in my office. Um, and I think so many people, Really, if you want to do something, you have to figure out how you're going to make that into a priority. Yes. And then I also feel that um, don't censor yourself before you consider your possibilities. People, I think, determine their possibilities before even imagining what their possibilities can be. And they do this because they don't think they have enough confidence or they don't think they're smart enough or pretty enough or thin enough or talented enough, whatever it is. Um, If you want something badly enough, go for it. And don't expect it to take a a short amount of time. Work hard. Um, Imagine immensities and don't 
up until you get what you love. Those are the, those are the sort of my, that's all part of my, my manifesto. <laughs> sure, I no, I, I, I mean, I, I was at the talk and the 10 pieces of advice you give, which I'll link to, uh, in my show notes. Um, I think they're all fantastic pieces of advice that so many people graduating in this day and age uh, or starting out in life in this day and age really need to understand. And I'm talking as somebody who is starting out, who has recently graduated, who has, you know, you know, needs that sort of motivation. So the design world is is massive. There's so many different types of design. There's print, there's web and a million other things, obviously. For someone fresh to design, where do you think someone should sort of find where is a good place to start? I think a good place to start is where your heart sings. I don't think that there's any easy way in or any shortcuts to success or greatness. I think that if you have a passion to do something, you should do it. Um, it I think it's really interesting the the various reasons or excuses that we give ourselves not to do something. And I think that if you are not doing what you want to be doing in your day job and you find yourself um, in a situation where you need that day job to pay your rent, then do the kind of work you want to be doing at night. Do self-generated work. I don't know very many designers that have made a name for themselves in some way without doing work that really meant something to them, that really moved them. They did it because they had no choice but to do it. So if you're not doing the kind of work that you want to be doing in in your career or in, in the work that you're being paid to do, then you must take it upon yourself to do that work on your own for yourself so that you can ultimately find work that will pay you to do that which your heart sings to do. So in uh, uh, you've spoken a lot about the idea of failure um, and how failure has sort of impacted your life. And I think for people, you know, who are getting started, failure is, is, is a hard thing to, is a hard pill to swallow. Um, well, I want to make a distinction between failure and rejection. When I first started talking about this specific topic, I was talking about it as failure. And it was it was in the context of how the biggest failures in your life could ultimately turn out to be the most important things that ever happened to you. And while that is also true, I've modified my my talk to really address rejection because I think that failure is an endpoint. Failure is something wherein you've tried it and it hasn't worked. Whereas rejection is you've tried it and it hasn't worked yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I think that that rejection is is something that you can choose to believe or not. Whereas um, failure gives gives a sense of it being sort of fruitless. Um, and rejection, there's still lots of hope that you can succeed um, if you figure out a way to get over that rejection or to use that rejection as an opportunity to learn about what might not be fully right about what it is you're trying to do and to use that information and to learn and grow and develop based on that feedback. So I think that rejection implies that it, it's a momentary obstacle or a lapse in, in, the, in your trajectory, whereas failure feels very much like an endpoint and, and giving up. So I think that I'd rather see 
opportunities that have been thwarted for whatever reason as, as rejections as opposed to failures. Because I think failure is, is only a failure if you stop trying. So, so you talk a lot about your own rejections through life, through all different things, or you're, at least you are now. <clears throat> Excuse me. How, how, what advice could you give to somebody to sort of help them overcome rejections in their own career and their own you know, path to de- in the design world? That's a good question. I, I think that the best way to see rejection in the context of one's own life is to look at others and how they used rejection to either inspire them to keep going or to revise and refine what they were doing to better their odds of succeeding the next time around. And the, the, our history is, is just populated with so many people that have been rejected, whether it be Steve Jobs or Mahatma Gandhi or Nelson Mandela. I mean, these are people that made, that, that whose lives changed the world who were profoundly rejected um, and and so I think if you look at your own life in the context of really, really great revolutionary people who also encountered significant rejection to their ideas, to their work, to their politics, to their lifestyle, then one can't help but imagine anyone's life not being impacted by rejection. I think if you're not rejected multiple times in your life, you're likely not striving enough. That 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 is so true. It's so unbelievably true. Um, I want to just take a minute and talk about uh, my two sponsors this week. First up is Harvest. Harvest is a beautiful business tool for tracking time spent on client projects. Work from anywhere by starting a timer via web browser, desktop, iPhone, or Android. It's an effortless start. It's effortless to start a timer, no matter where you are. Uh, check out Harvest at getharvest.com before the year slips away. And after the free 30-day trial period, use the code PENCILHOLDER and receive 50% off your first month. I also want to thank Media Temple for supporting the show. Media Temple's grid service has powered literally every website I've ever built and has been hosting has been the hosting choice of more designers, developers, and creative professionals than any other platform. That's because a single grid account can host anything from your portfolio site to hundreds of different client projects. Uh, and Media Temple's 24-7 support is fantastic. Special discount for How to Hold a Pencil listeners. Use promo code PENCIL, P-E-N-C-I-L, for 25% off your first month of web hosting. Go to mediatemple.net and enter your promo code upon sign-up. Thank you so much to Media Temple and Harvest for supporting the show. So, Debbie, I want, I want to sort of talk about motivation and what first the first inqu- the first question is what keeps you motivated i mean you've been in the design world for such a long time and it's obviously changed a lot uh since you were laying out newspapers in the what i'm assuming is the campus center of the university at albany where the albany student press office is um obviously it's changed uh we're no longer laying out things with pieces of paper uh we do it all on computers for the most part um and i'm wondering you know what keeps you motivated to keep going Life. Life <laughs> keeps me motivated. I I feel so privileged to be able to make things and create things and come up with ideas for things. And I 
feel that the older I get, the more able I am to actually do those things for some reason. I'm not entirely sure why, but I'm very grateful for it. And so I am motivated every single day to want to read something, make something, write something, do something, just be something. And I hope that never changes. So you you obviously work with some amazingly large brands, and uh, I'm I'm wondering if you could give the listeners a little bit of insight into sort of how you how you approach, you know, designing for something like a Burger King or a Coca Cola <laughs> or whatever it might be. You know, like you you are working with brands that are not you know they're not new brands; they're well established identities, and you you bring to it a new flair. But you have to also I, I'm wondering how you approach those types of things. Um, well, I don't work for Coca-Cola. I just want to make that True. clear. <laughs> I do. I have worked for Burger King and I have worked for many of the largest brands in the world. Um, working with these large brands is um, really, really complicated and it's really, really challenging. It's really fulfilling. It can sometimes be heartbreaking because you're not just working with brands per se or with a product you're working with a a billion dollar entity that is for the for in most cases um that has been around for over a hundred years that has tremendous legacy and history and you have to both be able to respect the brand's legacy and history but also be able to refresh it in a way that makes it feel like it's still exciting and like it's still meaningful. And so often when you're working with global brands, you're not only working with a brand manager and with a market research team, you're working with consumers all over the world to solicit their thoughts about what they think is important to happen for this particular brand or this particular opportunity. And so, you know, I joke that I don't get paid to design as much as I do to through the politics of working in large corporations and working with hundreds or thousands of people that are touching the brand every day. Um, but I am still also designing in all of that. So it's a, a, a tremendous um, balance of understanding cultural anthropology and what are the global conversations that are necessary to have to be able to understand how this brand fits into the life of the people that are using it. Um, it's understanding behavioral psychology and the order in which we think and the order in which we see things and how to break through existing patterns of recognition to get somebody to see something new or to solicit their imagination. It's also about economics because it's not just about a value proposition, no matter what anybody tells you. It's also about what makes something valuable in someone's life. People aren't really interested in a new form or a new flavor for their brand as much as they are as, as in understanding how this brand is going to make a difference in my life. And then it's also about great creativity because you really need to be able to impact people by the way something looks and get them to sit up and notice it. So it's all of these factors that you have to balance um, with, with a global brand that is part of the visual language of our culture. Uh, <clears throat> <It's not. laughs> no, no it, it, it's so interesting to hear somebody talk about, 
how it's more, especially when it comes to larger brands and I think even smaller brands and people who are just starting out need to realize that it's more than just designing. It's understanding the broader aspects of the product or whatever it is you're working with. So, I, I, you know, we don't have a lot of time left, but I want to talk to you. I was, I, I have some questions that I ask all my guests, and sure. this is one of them. Um, if you could go back to yourself at the very beginning. So imagine yourself for a minute sitting in that Albany Student Press office um, that I've sat in also. Um, and uh, what would you tell yourself then that you, would, that you had no idea back then that you would have told yourself? Uh, don't let self-loathing stand in the way of trying to be a person. Wow. Um, so what is, what, what's, what's your favorite thing that you've worked on? In, in my life? In, yeah. In, you know, what do you, what do you. Probably design matters is my favorite thing. Um, I, I feel like. The luckiest person on the planet to be able to interview people that I admire, heroes, people that inspire me, and, and get to ask them questions for an hour. You know? <laughs> sort of like I have this um, this superpower to be nosy. <laughs> I know exactly. I, um, I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that's my my all time favorite thing that I that I do and have done and hope that I get to continue to do. Um, I, I feel so privileged and lucky and never in a million years thought that nine years after doing my first podcast, not even using the word podcast, <laughs> podcast back then, there weren't many podcasts back then. It's true. That I'd still be doing it and have, and, and would have, or have, and would have been able to imagine having done over 200 episodes. So that's, that's pretty spectacular for me. That's all. <clears throat> that's awesome. So you just said something uh, that I want to ask you about. Uh, use the word inspire, and I'm wondering what inspires you. Um, the day, a day, a new day inspires me. Every day I wake up and want it to be special and meaningful, and I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste t- time. Inspires me. <laughs> time inspires me. So that it inspires me. <laughs> so this podcast is a lot has a lot to do with learning. Um, and, you know, teaching yourself things. Are there things that you find that you're still teaching yourself or learning? Or is there something new that you're learning every day? I am continually surprised by how um, much I let fear stand in the way of doing things and how I still believe that I need to be a certain way or know a certain amount or achieve a certain level of permission to do certain things or to do nearly everything. I, I, I still grapple daily um, between living through fear and, and living through courage. And, and I, I, that's, it's a constant struggle to maintain um, a certain level of compassion, you know, just for my own life. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing I'm working on now. Okay. And uh, so I, we, um, what, what do you see uh, in your future for yourself and for your, you know, whether it's for design matters or for things you want to work on or things you want to do, that kind of stuff. 
Um, well, I think I'm going to be moving uh, in the next year, um, working on the renovation of, an, of, of new digs. So I have lived in the same place for the last 20 years. So it's a very, very big change for me. Um, and I'm not a person that likes to change all that much. I tend to just take on new things without giving up old things because I don't like to change those things, <laughs> change my routines and whatnot. So this is a big, big, big thing. So I'm working on the renovation now and I anticipate that it's going to be both traumatic and heartbreaking and euphoric and in liberating in, in, in a lot of ways. So I'm a little bit nervous about that. Um, so I see that in my future, and I see celebrating 10 years of Design Matters in 2015. I'm very, very excited about that. And um, I see an opportunity to try to continue to make a little bit of a difference. Or maybe that's more of a hope than a see. <laughs> I, I, I hope you can do that, too. Um so you mentioned Design Matters a few times, and you've interviewed a ton of people over nine years. Is there a person that you haven't interviewed that you still want? Like, is there somebody that's on your list that you're like, just, I need to get this person on Design Matters? Um, <laughs> well, I haven't really thought about that. I'd love to interview Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Wouldn't that be amazing? Will she give Will she give all your listeners a car though? Is the question. I don't know. <laughs> um, she doesn't have to. I'll no, give that... her a car. No. <laughs> give her my well, car. Honda. Oprah or anybody associated with Oprah, if you're listening, <laughs> Debbie Millman wants to talk to you. All right. the The second to last question that I ask everybody: uh, What is your What is uh, No, I already asked you what your favorite project is. I don't even need to ask that. Uh, so finally, where can my get Where can my listeners find you on the internet? Twitter, website, that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, Twitter is at Debbie Melman, and um, Design Matters is on designobserver.com or iTunes. And um, my website is debbiemillman.com and my work site is sterlingbrands.com and um, the School of Visual Arts. So oh. sva.edu. Awesome. Debbie, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it uh, for you taking the time to talk to me and to talk to all my listeners because I find this as selfish that I just let people listen in on conversations with people I'm dying to speak to every week. Um, so thank you. I want to thank everyone for listening this week. You could find links to everything that we talked about uh, and links to Debbie's social profiles and that stuff on the show notes at www.howtoholdpencil.com. Thanks again to Media Temple and Harvest for supporting the show. You can follow the show on Twitter at Hold a Pencil, or you can follow me on Twitter at Ruben Ingber. And I will see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>